the theme of this morning in this uh, chapter 2 is Paul is really encouraging the church to have humility. And he says, hey, you want to know what it looks like to be humble? Look at Jesus. And when we think of humble, um, this word humble actually comes from this word. It's, it's originally from this word called humus. I think that's how you, you pronounce it. It's not hummus. I knew it, wasn't, it couldn't be hummus because hummus is the you know, Mediterranean dip that we like to dip our pita in. But uh, it's this word humus, which comes from the, the saying of the earth. And if you've ever met somebody who's humble, uh, what would you say about them? you say they're down to earth, right? That kind of a person is a down to earth kind of person, salt of the earth kind of person. Doesn't think of themselves too highly. Doesn't um, carry themselves in such a way where they, they seem so like, distant from everyone else and they, they like, look down on everyone. No, they, they're, they're earthly. They, they seem like they're just down to earth. You know, you know who I'm talking about? Maybe you, you, maybe you have somebody like that in your family. And isn't it just easy to be with that kind of a person? You never have to feel like you're on your guard. Uh, think about this, you know, like when you go over to somebody's house, maybe your family gets invited to somebody else's family, and maybe you don't know this family that well. What do you do when you, you walk into the home? You're on your best behavior, right? You're like, oh, what are their customs? What are their cultures? You're trying to like be super polite. Um, and, and that's because there's a little bit of like, I'm not sure where they stand. Are they gonna like judge me if I do this? All this kind of stuff. But then there's maybe somebody in your friendship or in your family that you know that when you walk in the door, they're super down to earth and you don't have to like have your guard up. You don't have to like say all the right things. You don't have to do all these kind of things to try to impress and all. And, and uh, they're just because they're down to earth and you just feel comfortable with them. And so what Paul is encouraging us here this morning is this, this humility. So let's uh, turn to the book of Philippians chapter two. We're gonna verse, read 11 verses this morning. If you're following along with us, uh, it'll be on the screen or on your computer, on your device, um, and we're going to be reading from the English Standard Version, and so this is what the Word of the Lord says, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, it says so, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love being in full accord and of one mind. Verse 3, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. That's the word of the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? And there's so many like quotable things, right? That I remember singing songs like, um, 
God exalted Jesus to the highest place. You guys remember that one? Giving him a name. No? Okay, never mind. Yeah, I remember singing that in church, but that's where this, this comes from. So I want us to kind of break these verses apart. And we have to understand this morning that when Paul's writing with joy, he's also writing, he's not just like glib and saying, hey, you guys are perfect. Remember, this is one of the, the, the closest churches to health that we could probably look at an example in Scripture. But there still is the problem of, di- of division. Isn't that like, it seems like it's always the problem, the problem in the church. It's always like somebody getting mad at somebody else for not doing what they thought they should do or the way that they like it and this kind of thing and try to bring in fractions in the church. That's what's up. That's what happens. And, And so Paul is, again, having to address this thing of unity. And so he's writing to them. You see it. He's like, hey, have this mind among yourselves. Don't let anything divide you, blah, 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 blah. Uh, blah, 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 blah. And he, so he's encouraging them uh, on this thing of unity, but through humility. And so you'll notice here, he says this in verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Now I want to say this. Paul is not asking a question in the sense of, do do these things exist in the sense of, does encouragement in Christ exist like throwing out a, a hypothetical question? What he's not asking them is, what, actually, if what we really should do with this first verse is read it in the sense of, since there is, since there is encouragement in Christ, since there is comfort from love, since there is participation in the Spirit, since there is affection and sympathy. And if you are a Christian this morning, you could say, yeah, there is these things, right? How many of you have here have experienced encouragement in Christ? Anybody? Just raise your hand. Yeah. Online. How you doing? Uh, all right. Online. If you have experienced encouragement in Christ, awkwardly, if you're by yourself, just say, I have. Okay? It's all right. You could say it. Jesus hears you. And so all of us here, if we put our hope in Christ and Jesus, we have experienced encouragement in Christ. I know I have. When I, when I was a sinner, still sin, but when I was stuck in sin and Jesus lifted me up and saved me and put me on solid foundation, that is encouraging because I didn't, have, I didn't deserve that. And, and that continues in my life. Or comfort from love. Anybody been comforted from the love of God? Yeah. We all have. Marianne has, and Tom has. I have. And we, if we were Christians, we had to say, no, this is ongoing. It wasn't just like, remember how we always talk about the gospel? It's not just like what happened a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. It doesn't just happen in this one moment here, and then that was it. No, it's like, it did happen, it's happening, and it will happen. And so we continue as Christians to feel the comfort of the love of God. Participation in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit continually encourages us and guides us and brings us back to the truth of the gospel. That's the role of the Holy Spirit, and he's always doing that. And, and we can see here affection and sympathy. I mean, we not only receive this from God, but as Christians, we give and we receive this from each other, right? And so what Paul's not saying here, he's not trying to uh, uh, ask us a question, uh, a subjective question. He's actually making an objective statement in truth. He's saying, since these things have happened 
to you. And now let's, let's read it again, verses 2 through 5. He says this, Since then, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Anybody getting discouraged a little bit yet reading this? Like, man, this feels impossible. Like every church I've been in, any, any business I've been in, any family function I've been in, this always seems like it's not fully attainable. Verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to your own interests, but the interests of others, etc., etc. So we read through these verses, and Paul is giving us here uh, what we say in this church is often the indicatives and the imperatives of the gospel, or maybe the truths and the actions, if you want to make that a little bit easier to understand, of the gospel. So what, what Paul's saying here first is what he's doing, he's saying, since this is true, therefore, this also must be true, okay? So if, we, if you're good at math, um, I'm not great at math, so I'm going to use a really easy math equation. Okay, kids, you ready for this one? Even you guys can get this one. If two, if the value of two is this many, and you add this many to another this many, which is two plus two, then it must equal four. Okay? Tom knows that one. Okay? So if two added to another two, if you take the values of those and they're whole numbers and they're complete, and I know you mathematicians are saying, yeah, but, well, but okay, we're not even going to go there. He's just saying, if this is true, then this is true, then this must be true. And what Paul's doing this morning in this chapter two is what he's saying is because the truth of the gospel is this, that you have been comforted by love, that you have experienced sympathy and affection, and you've, been, you've experienced the leading of the Holy Spirit. If, if, if God has saved you and he set you apart and he's lifted you out of the miry clay and set your feet on a firm foundation, if it's true, and it is true, since that's true, then make my joy complete by what? By being unified. By living not in your own interests, but think about the interests of others. And so what Paul's doing here is he's giving us a humility and a, and a unity math equation for living out our lives. He's saying two plus two equals four. The problem is in the church what we do is go, Two plus two equals seven. Two plus two equals one. Because I like that number more than what I like four. Because I believe the first part of the equation exists just for my benefit and nobody else's. And Paul says, no. See, since these things are true, then you have to live out the rest of the equation, church. You're not allowed just to pretend like the first half only exists for my benefit. Because all of us here, if we've said we've put our hope and our faith in Jesus as our Master, our Lord, and our Savior, we've experienced this truth not to just absorb it and like let it become a black hole in our lives. No, what we're supposed to do is be like a disco ball. You know, you ever go see a disco ball? If there's a disco ball hanging here, what happens when you shine this pointed light on the disco ball? It reflects all over, the, all over the room. And there's like these little glittery lights going off everywhere. 
Where does that disco ball get the energy to do that from? It doesn't have any energy in itself to shoot that light out itself. What it's doing is it's taking the love of God, it's taking the encouragement of God, it's taking the Holy Spirit's leading and guiding and the sympathy and the affection and all of the things that it receives in the light, and then what it does is it takes it and then it blasts it out everywhere else. Kind of like these kids' hats this morning, right? You just shine the light on the hat and it's like... Those hats almost look like they sing the national anthem by themselves. And that's what Paul's calling us to do. So he's saying, hey, I know this is the most healthy church, but there's still some division. Remember the truth of the gospel, Philippians, that you've been saved, and it wasn't on your own initiation. So therefore, don't let these stupid little things that you want to divide yourselves over become division. And he's talking about being humble. Being humble. Being down to earth. Often what we think of in humility, I remember thinking this as, a younger person, is that if I really want to be humble, then what I have to do is think of myself as, like, worthless. I have to think of myself as being no good to anybody. That's real humility. Humility. Or if I'm really humble, then I I just, you know, I think I'm ugly. Or, um, and so if I really want to show that I'm ugly, I'm going to tell everybody, or show that I'm humble, I'm going to tell everybody, yeah, I'm ugly, or uh, I'm not good at this, and blah, blah, blah. And, and then what I want everyone to go is go, wow, look how humble Kelly is. No, that's not, when, when, when the Bible talks about humility, it's not talking about low self-esteem. That's not true humility. See, Paul really helps us here understanding what true humility is, is he's saying it's not that you think less of yourself, it's thinking less of yourself above others. It's not that you think you're terrible. It's that you actually prefer others around you before you prefer yourself, okay? So here's what I want us to do this morning. If you're watching online, if you're here this morning, I'm going to ask us to do a little quiz. Okay, you ready? And this is going to be a, uh, uh, a humility quiz or a pride quiz. So I'm going to ask us five questions, and you don't have to share this. You know what would be really helpful is you know how you're going to get true answers to this? is to ask your spouse or your brother or your sister or a friend and ask them to score you on this quiz, okay? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you guys some questions. And this is to figure out whether you have pride in your heart or whether you're humble. And the first question is this. I think we have them up here. Is, are you alive? If you are alive, you probably wrestle with pride, okay? All of us. Number two, is it easy for you to admit when you're wrong? Is your default to go, yeah, 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 I was totally wrong on this issue? Or is your default to go, no, 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 let me explain to you what I really meant, and let me try to, like, justify why I did this, and blah, 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 blah. You you know, you ever get in an argument with your spouse or with your brother or sister or a friend or something like that? And Marianne said, never. We never, we, we have the perfect marriage, babe. We never fight. We never fight. Um, so you ever get in an argument, and then you, you kind of make up, but then, like, you say you're sorry, but you don't really say you're sorry, and you kind of say, you know, I'm really sorry, but if this is the reason why I did this. You try to justify your actions. That is pride. And that's not a true apology. It's not. True apology is like, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? 
end of story. That's a true apology, okay? And then you have to leave it up to the, your friend or your spouse or your brother or sister to forgive you. Um, so number two, is it easy for you to admit when you're wrong? Number three, when someone does something you don't like, do you think the best of them? <laughs> no, right? So when somebody, maybe at your job or your boss or somebody in the church, makes a decision that rubs you the wrong way, is your first thought to think, they probably did this because they love me. <laughs> they probably did this because, you know, I mean, let me tell you something. I, leading a church during this time, I, I just want to like go, I don't know, and I throw up all the papers in the air and just stuff walls, and then I just go, okay, which one landed in the right place? All right, God, I guess you're saying that one, right? Kind of like throwing out the fleece a little bit. Um, and so there are people calling me, emailing me, texting me, telling me, I can't believe you guys are doing X, Y, and Z. And it's on one side of the spectrum, right? And I'm like, okay, yes, I love you. Blah, blah. And then in the same thing, it's like, I can't believe you're not doing this, this, and this, and this. And it's the complete opposite. And my tendency is to go, yeah, shut up, right? I don't care what you think. Because my, I go, well, you're just thinking about yourself. It's because there's pride in my heart. And then I want to go, don't you know how hard it is leading a church? You know, and I want to like say all these things because there's pride in my heart. When somebody does something I don't like, my immediate reaction is to think, oh, it's because they're selfish or blah, blah, blah. It's because there's pride in my heart. Um, number four. Do you think about how the decisions you make will affect you first? Instead of, if I make this decision, how will it affect my spouse, my mom and dad, my brother and sister, my boss, the church? How will it be if I blah, blah, blah? How will this benefit this person? And number five, do you often think of how your gifts and talents can benefit others not just yourself. How can the gifts God given me, how can I live for the benefit of others instead of the benefit of self? That's a good little quiz to take to see if you wrestle with pride. So what does, we're talking about this thing of humility and how Paul's encouraging the Philippian church, right? How or what does true humility look like? We can, we can kind of help the, with this quiz, but really all that does is either point out how good we are and we get arrogant or point out our faults, and then we just feel sad. And so what we have to do is go to the ultimate source of what true humility looks like, and that's obviously Jesus. Now, we've called this sermon series, you know, joy, and exploring what it means to have a robust and uh, a, a, a faith, a, a, a joy that is not subjected to the world and, and circumstances, right? Um, and so what I'm encouraging us to do this morning is can we do something, can we think both how can I be humble but also rejoice in the joy of being of, of the ultimate one who was actually the most humble for me? And that's Jesus. And so what, what Paul's going to do here is he's going to say, hey, this is how, you need to be humble, you need to not be split up and, and don't allow uh, division among you. And so what he's going to do is bring us back to the truth of the gospel, and that's always to look to Jesus, 
who's our ultimate example of what humility is. So, let's look at these verses here. Verses 6 through 8. Speaking of Jesus, who, though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form. He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. Isn't it beautiful that Jesus is the most perfect example of humility? I love the fact that we have a God who doesn't lord over us in the sense of He's so far off and aloof. And yes, the Bible speaks about the transcendence of God. But we also have a God who's imminent. And, you know, we, we say this during the Christmas season, Emmanuel, which means God with us, right? And I love this, this scripture here that, that Paul tells us about the humility of Jesus. That he's not this, like, just, just doesn't understand our plight kind of a God. But he's a God who humbled himself so much. And, you know, we, we talk about this being down to earth is humum is being humble. If anybody was down to earth, it was literally Jesus. I mean, think about that. In heaven comes down to earth on our behalf. What a picture of humility. What a, what a, what a bless, blessing that is for you and me that we don't serve a God who calls us to say, hey, fix yourself I want, I'm going to show you how terrible you are, and then what I'm going to do is in this showing you of how terrible you are, I'm going to keep putting on you guilt and make you feel terrible and make you feel sad about how bad you are and all your sin, and I'm going to just keep shaming you, and I'm going to keep telling you how worthless you are, and what I'm going to do is give you these little nuggets along the way to better yourself and then maybe through your own effort, you'll finally attain right relationship with me by proving yourself over and over again. No, that's not the kind of God. See, that's every other religion, right? We have the kind of God who stepped into our mess, who left perfection in heaven, perfect relationship with the Father and the Spirit, and left that all behind, and came down to earth. The most humble act. And what he did is he not only showed us that we were sinful, but then he helped us out of our sin. And then what he did is not only just help us out of our sin, he continues to help us grow out of our sin. And not only did he help us out of our sin and continues to help us out of our sin, but he will continue to help us out of our sin and he'll lead us to a place where we become completely sinless and we live in glory forever with him and return back to heaven where he came from. I love that. I love that we serve a God who is humble. And most of the world was like, what kind of God is humble? I'll tell you the kind of God that's humble. is Jesus. The one who didn't grasp. And so, a couple of things I'm going to point out here and then we'll be done. Number two, I guess, so to speak, is that we see in this humility that Jesus didn't grasp. He didn't think of himself 
or his comfort or his position before he thought of us. Think about your, if, if your life is even semi-decent right now, if you, if you have a bed to sleep in, if you have a roof over your head, if you have a refrigerator that has food in it, if you have a car that you can drive around in, if you have any of the comforts of this, and then think about how Jesus left all of these comforts, all of the perfection that he had, and he surrendered it all, and he didn't grasp back for those kind of things. What he did is he left all of that perfection, and he laid it down for us. And so Paul says, live like Jesus. You want to know what it's like to be humble? Look at Jesus. He didn't grasp back at these things. You never see in Scripture where Jesus comes to earth and he's always kind of looking back, going, man, excuse my language, but this kind of sucks. Man, I think, I think I made a bad call by coming down here. God, hey, Father, uh, can I just come back? Can I just go back where it was all perfect and I didn't have to like feel the pain and the sorrow? And No, see, Jesus comes down. He doesn't look back to heaven making this, oh shoot, I think I made the wrong decision. He doesn't grasp back for where he came from. He lays it all down. For what? For you and for me. So that we could do the same thing for each other. He doesn't grasp. Number, number three is we see Jesus took on the form of a servant. It says this. Jesus took on the form of a servant. That means that he had to let go of something to hold on to something else. Now, usually you and I, whenever we let go of something, what do we do? We only let go of something if the thing that we're grasping for is going to be better than the thing we're letting go of, right? Normally, uh, so like you're, you're working for what? That job promotion. None of us in our right mind go, I'm going to work harder so that I can serve harder at my job. I'm going to work harder and I'm going to earn a promotion financially so that I can give it to Joe. No, what we do is we say, hey, I've been working hard. Hey, boss, will you please recognize and will you reward me? But what Jesus does is he takes on the form of a servant and he lets go of something that's perfect and he grasps onto something that is humbling. Wow. That should blow our minds. The God of the universe, the one who doesn't answer to anybody, the one who deserves all praise, all glory, all honor forever and ever and ever. And as the elders say in the book of Revelation, they fall down and every time they look up, they go, oh, they fall down, cast their crowns and say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. And they just, they give him forever and ever thousands and thousands and thousands of angels, right? Declaring the greatness of who God is. And we think to ourselves, that's, that's what God is. And so when we understand that God left all of that and he held on to something that was a world that was broken, a world that was messy, a world 
that was surely going to have discomfort and pain and sorrow, hunger and strife. I don't know about you, but that should in us say, Jesus, thank you so much for showing us what true humility is. And so he takes the form of a servant. He lets go of something that seemingly would just benefit him, and he holds on to something that benefits us. And that's what true humility is. When Paul says, don't just think of your own interests, think of the interests of others, what he's saying is Philippian church, what he's saying is Southlands Chino church is, Take on the form of a servant. Let go of what you are striving for, or these perfections, the thing that will only benefit you, the things you're working hard for that will somehow make, make a return for your own investment. And he's saying, now, live for the benefit of others. Think about this decision that you're about to make. Will this glorify God? And will this bless someone around you? Will this... Uh, advance the kingdom of heaven or will this advance the kingdom of self? We're choos- we choose those every day. Jesus didn't grasp. Jesus took on the form of a servant. Number four, Jesus was obedient to the point of death. I mean, that's extreme humility, right? And it says that Jesus not only died Death. He died a death because of obedience, but he died a death on the cross, which was a sinner's death, which was a criminal's death, which was the scum of the earth kind of death. What a humbling death. And many accounts of Scripture and many historians and many commentators say what well, Jesus was probably naked when he dies on this cross. That's shameful. Not only is it shameful to die a death that was set apart for the worst of criminals, but in his nakedness dies on us uh, for our behalf. Ultimate death, ultimate humility. Isaiah says this about Jesus. At 53, verse 2 through 3. For he, grew up before, uh, for he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. There's nothing spectacular about Jesus in his humanity. The beauty about all this is though, even though Jesus humbled himself, he didn't exalt himself, right? He didn't lift himself up. God did the exalting. Look at this. In the, and we'll read the, the rest of the passage. Philippians chapter 1, verse 9 through 11 says, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So not only does Jesus lay down his rights, but he trusts in God that God will do the exalting. And so I think often what we do is we, 
we humble ourselves and somehow we kind of try to manipulate it so that we'll get the glory out of it. If I look really humble, then people will look at me and go, whoa, that dude's really humble. That person's really humble. Look how they lay. No, Jesus doesn't do that in his, in his humility. What he does is he humbles himself and he fully receives the consequences of humbling himself. Trusting that God will do the exalting. Trusting that God will take care of the rest. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all of these things shall be added to you, right? Seek ye first God's kingdom, and don't worry about the exaltation that will come, because God, who truly loves you, will deal with the exalting. God, who totally has your best interest in mind, will handle the exalting. God will take care of you. Every part that you worry about, God will take care of it. Your job is to humble yourself, and God's job is to exalt you. Often we get it the other way around. We want to exalt ourselves, but when we do that, then God does the humbling. Anybody here want to be humbled by God? Steve does. And I think Steve's saying, yeah, because I, I know what that, that's good for me, Right? But in the sense of, like, I want to exalt myself and puff out my chest, the ultimate result is that God has to humble us. You ever hear when somebody's being humbled? Like, you ever think of an athlete who's getting humbled? What happens to that athlete? Their hamstring blows out. Their knee, their ACL, or whatever these tendons, and, you know, career-ending injuries. And that, that athlete who held the record for the fastest speed or the most touchdowns or most goals or hoops or, you know, triple doubles or hat tricks or whatever it is, all of this, it comes crumbling down and they feel humbled. Why? Because they were exalting themselves. But friends, you know what true humility is? It's not being humbled. It's humbling yourself. True humility is not all of a sudden circumstances take out your life and your, your exaltation of yourself all, all of a sudden gets put to the side. No, true humility is saying, God, I will humble myself in spite of these gifts, these talents, these abilities you've given me. I will live for the benefit of others. This is, I want to read this at the end here. There's a little quote by a commentator, and I love how he sums this up. He says, this is what, there it is, this is what Paul is admonishing us in verse 5. He says, have this mind among yourselves. The incarnation of Christ Jesus represents the antithesis of the human desire to exalt self. Although he had access to all the privilege and power to which his identity with God entitles him, and although he could have exploited that privilege and power to dominate his creatures, Jesus considered his deity an opportunity for service and obedience. His deity became a matter not of getting, but of giving, not of being served, but of serving, not of dominance, but of obedience. Isn't that beautiful? I think we all just need to say thank you Jesus that you did this on our behalf and so friends really what we're called to do is we do the humbling God does the exalting instead of us doing the exalting and God having to do the humbling 
Let's pray this morning.